been so wild lately. He doesn't seem to listen. He doesn't obey my commands, and we can't even bribe him with trees. He's gotten so out of hand, he may even have to be put down. God is not the problem here. The problem is the people who want to be the leader of the pack. We reintroduce God. We retrain people. You're listening to The God Whisperers. I'm Craig D'Onofrio. I, I, I'm Bill Swirla. So, sorry about introducing that over your version of it. Oh, we're both doing it, huh? We, yeah, we, little little failure. <laughs> the, the, this is like uh, this is this is this is like Peyton Manning's. Um, you know, audible calls and the wide receiver not quite hearing the signal. <laughs> who, who knows who has what version going on here? Omaha, Omaha. <laughs> so. We have Super Bowl Sunday coming up. We do the high holy day of of the NFL. This is this is like Christmas and Easter rolled into one for football fans. And in fact, it, it's so religious that it takes over some churches. I've noticed. Yes, yeah. The, this is one of the high holy days in the church here. That's right. They right have they have with, uh, Good Friday, Easter, and Super Bowl Sunday. They they have illegal there. Super Bowl parties where y'all get together and watch the proprietary feed of the Super Bowl. <laughs> Don't tell anyone. In it's the, a secret. In we, the name we only of, put it on our on our <laughs> church, you know, the side of our church, but it's a secret. In, in the name of Jesus, no less. So, <laughs> let's. Hey, today's a big day for the God Whispers. We have as our guest Tolian Chavijan, who. Uh, I don't have turned on quite yet. There you are. <laughs> yeah, well, hey, Tolian, well, welcome, well, to God welcome to Amateur Hour here. <laughs> are you with us? Uh, yeah, great to be with you guys. Thanks for having me. <laughs> well, good to have you with us. Uh, we'll be talking with you in just a moment, but feel free to jump in any time during the shenanigans and hooliganism here. I gave uh, the weather out there in Fort Lauderdale. It looks like you're a little overcast. But, uh... <laughs> it is. It's kind of an ugly day here, which is depressing for us. Uh, it's, you know, 69 degrees, which isn't too terrible, although for us, that's like a serious cold front, and we're not exactly sure what to do about it. We don't go outside, and we don't have the right clothes to wear, and, you know, all of that stuff that wimpy South Floridians have to deal with. Uh, but we do like our sunshine, and we haven't seen it yet today. Oh, oh heavens. There, there, there'll, be fe- there'll be FEMA trailers out for you guys, you know. I mean, uh, pra- do, pra- do, prayers ascending, prayers ascending. Yeah, <laughs> we are, we're suffering greatly here. I mean, 69 degrees and a little light rain. This is terrible. That, that, that could cause traffic tie-ups for days down there. I mean, that's just the I, – I, I just want to go on record here as saying I admire any guy who's got as many consonants and as few vowels in their name as you do. I mean, I'm feeling a kinship, you know, with a name that's spelled C-W-I-R-L-A. I'm feeling a strange kinship here. I, I appreciate this. Welcome to the club well, of the – Welcome to the club of the unpronounceable surname. 
Well, I don't know if you caught the weather there before the show. I can't even say my own name. So that... I heard that. No, I heard that. It actually made me feel better. Because whenever, whenever people ask me, how do you pronounce your last name, my immediate response is, I really don't know. So... Well, right. we're in the same boat there, brother. Do we, do we need to say a, a prayer for you with this uh, severe weather that you're having out there in Florida? Uh, yeah, just a, just a quick silent prayer would be fine. I don't think you need to do anything uh, drastic, but a quick silent prayer <laughs> well, for those of us who are suffering under the overcast skies of Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I, I want an I, I want an immediate investigation of the meteorologists in Florida. Is is what did they know and when did they know it when it came to the lack of sunshine today? Yeah, I don't know because I don't ever. You know, the one good thing about living in South Florida is you just wake up every day assuming that it's going to be sunny and warm, so you never ever actually watch the weather. So <laughs> when a day like this happens, I'm sure it was predicted, but no one was really paying attention. That's how this happens. There, the, the stores are now empty of toilet paper and bread. <laughs> Hey, yeah, if you're out there listening are. on uh, the radio or on the uh, internet, you can join in on the conversation at 314-821-0850 or 1-800-730-2727. Got that taken care of. If you want to leave a message on the Manly Doctors Hotline, area code 626-593-7713, which spells Manly Doctors 13. And as we've said before, we have been conferred with our degrees of the Manly Doctor of Divinity through... By- by each other, Skype University. Yeah, yeah by yeah, each because other. That's what our that's what our numbers spelled when we got it. So <laughs> on there you have it. on the web, the mothership, godwhispers.org. You can do dot com too, and then get redirected just for just for fun. Uh, and you can reach us by email, which is our preferred way of reaching us, except of course live, um, and that is at godwhispers at gmail dot com. Uh, due to the importance of, of our guest, Craig, I, I'm, going, yes. I'm going to move uh, in true parliamentary form that, that uh, we, we defer, we table the reading of the email uh, in favor Ooh. of our guest with the unpronounceable name. Wait, 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 wait. Are, are we treating this Philistine with greater respect than the, the president of our very own synod? <laughs> this is a nation that obeyeth not the voice of the Lord their God nor receiveth correction what happened there <laughs> I, I, I i i touched the ipad oh i, I thought that my, that was intentional my re, my reflexes are off on the soundboard today so like anything can happen there but but uh well i mean i, I do want to point out though that our, our good buddy rick uh the anti-santa from antarctica um does write he is back he is back in antarctica now which he describes as slushy um, well, it's summer. He it says it's been warm here. Uh, those people who are stuck in the ice probably would have appreciated that kind of weather a few weeks ago. Uh, he says the ice runway is melting, and they may have some trouble getting out before nightfall. See, Antarctica is not like the rest of the world. Is There, the runways have to be frozen. It's a little bit like the NHL Winter Classics played outside. You've got to have ice. And so uh, uh, he's concerned that they may not get out. Uh, he is also enclosed, and I might put up some very nice pictures of penguins. Just saying. So uh, we, we have, we have peng- and, 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 and frolicking penguins, no less, too. He tells us that we have a small but faithful listener audience here at McMurdo Station in Antarctica. Awesome. So the our numbers are growing by the single digits every day. 
and uh, and and uh, we, we have a following in Antarctica. So um, truly worldwide. So uh, Tully, and uh, remember that uh, this this show will be heard in Antarctica. Uh, your, your reach your reach has expanded just simply by being on the phone with us. I can now claim in any bio I write for myself that I have preached the gospel in Antarctica and not be lying. <laughs> there you have it. <laughs> and, and that's really what we're about. We're about resume padding. Absolutely. You know, see, yeah. the CV must grow on a daily basis because, after all, nobody will listen to you unless you have a big, long CV. So, uh, yeah. Yes. <laughs> so with us is Tolly and Tavijan. I can't say your name right. I'm either. leaving that one entirely to you, Craig. Chavijan. Uh, Tolian, you have quite a background, I must say. You kind of grew up as Christian royalty of sorts uh, and then became a, a flaming heathen, which is pretty awesome because <laughs> I, I kind of did the same kind of thing. Not with, Christ, not with Christian royalty, but just flaming heathenism. Uh, how did you come about to your understanding of the gospel that you have now? Give us a little bit of your background. Yeah, I uh, grew up uh, in a Christian home, was born into a Christian home. My mom is the oldest daughter of Billy Graham, hence the Christian royalty. Wow. Uh, and grew up uh, in just a remarkable home. Uh, I'm the middle of seven kids. Wow. Um, my mom and dad were remarkable in teaching us the Bible, teaching us about Jesus, teaching us the gospel, teaching us to pray. Uh, I mean, the flavor of Christianity that was expressed in my home growing up was not legalistic or oppressive or joyless. It was hospitable. It was fun. It was very gracious. Uh, So I had a really good taste for the real thing growing up in the home that I grew up in. And of course, you know, I can trace back on both my mom and my dad's side just generations of faithful Christian people uh, who passed it down to their kids and grandkids and great-grandkids. And so God just gifted me with this amazing Christian heritage. I didn't ask to be born into the family that I was born into. I didn't deserve to be born into the family that I was born into. Uh, it was really and continues to be a real gift from God. And I'm not exactly sure what happened with me. <laughs> um, maybe it's because I was the middle of seven children, and I couldn't really figure out if I was the youngest of the older three or the oldest of the younger three. I couldn't really figure out where I fit inside the home. And so, you know, around the age of 11, 12, 13 years old, I pretty much determined unconsciously that if I couldn't figure out where I fit inside the home, I would desperately try to fit somewhere outside the home. And when you're in that kind of a position and you're longing to belong somewhere and feel like you matter somewhere and stand out somewhere, you make some pretty foolish decisions about who you hang out with and the kinds of things you do. And so I started hanging out with some bad people and doing some bad things, and all of that culminated at the right young age of 16 when my lifestyle had become so disruptive to the rest of the household that my parents were really left with no choice but to say, we love you, but if you're going to continue living this way, you can't live under our roof. So at 16, my mom and dad kicked me out of the house. Uh, I dropped out of high school at that point. And I loved it. I loved every minute of it. I mean, literally, um, you know, I mean, I felt like with no mom and dad looking over my shoulder and no uh, teachers breathing down my neck, I was finally free to pursue what I wanted to pursue and do the things that I wanted to do. Uh, And the Bible says that sin is pleasurable for a season. And it was very pleasurable for a season, but the Bible also says that 
when that season comes to an end, you're left with a gaping hole in your soul that only God is big enough to fill. And that season came to an end for me at 21 years old, nearly 20 years ago. Um, and it wasn't the result of one specific event or one circumstance. It was just this culminating sense that there's got to be more to life than what I'm experiencing. There's got to be more to who I am than what this world is telling me. And I really did look behind every tree and under every rock in the world to find meaning and satisfaction and uh, you know, all of those things, acceptance and approval and all of those things. Um, and I found that at 21 years old, after living very hedonistically in South Beach, Miami, um, that uh, this world promised what it cannot pay. Uh, and because my parents had raised me well and because I knew what the answers were, um, that's when I really sensed God sort of summoning me back to him. Uh, so at 21 years old, everything for me really changed. Mm. Well, let's hear it for the high school dropouts. You and I are in that club. Uh, yes. I don't know about you, but I, I look back and I think, what the heck was wrong with me? Uh, all you and, need, uh, all you, I, I, the list is just way too big. Uh, all you need is is a stint in a marginal uh, a Christian praise band, and you you've just relived Craig's life right there. <laughs> Pretty near. <laughs> Yeah, I was listen. I was a train wreck then. I'm a train wreck now. Amen, brother. Uh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a justified train wreck now. I was an unjustified train wreck before. So uh, that's really the primary difference. But um, yeah, I mean, I look back on my experiences and all the things that I did, and uh, you know, I mean, in many ways, I regret the ways that I hurt people, specifically my mom and dad and my family. Uh, you know, I, I regret the way that I hurt my friends, girlfriends back then and other friends back then and how, because of how selfish I was and self-centered I was. But the fact of the matter is I am just, I'm just a, an amazing grace addict now because I know what it feels like in the gutter mm-hmm. and because I know how far a person can go uh, when they decide to live for themselves and the fact that God, the hound of heaven, just mercifully, graciously tracked me down and magnificently defeated me, uh, it's just, it really has made me, as I said, um, a grace addict. Uh, I mean, it's not just a theological category that I affirm, it's my functional lifeline on a daily basis. And so, um, you know, that, that's affected me as a preacher, it's affected me as a pastor, it's affected me as a counselor. Um, you know, all of those things. So in one sense, I regret the hurt that I caused, but in another sense, I'm truly grateful that God in his gracious sovereignty and providence allowed me to live through all that. You know, uh, what you say kind of—are you familiar with Robert Farr Capon, the author, the Episcopalian bad boy? Yes, happened. Hello? Uh, hello, Tully, you there? You there? Sorry, I lost you for a second. That happens. Um, are, are you familiar? Are, are you familiar with with Robert uh, Farrar Capon or Capon? Uh, some people yeah. say. No, it's Capon. Yeah. And uh, am I? Yes, I am a Robert Capon junkie. <laughs> yeah. Well, Robert <laughs> Capon junkie. The, the, what you said kind of reminded me of Capon's uh, view of the Reformation. He says, uh, uh, you know, an Augustinian friar uh, broke into the basement of the church and discovered some two hundred proof uh, gospel grace hooch, and uh, and got so punchy over it that he had to share it with everybody. And you know, hence senses the Reformation. It sounds like sounds like at some point uh, you discovered that a grace that grace is more amazing 
thing than you thought it was, or the gospel was better oh. news than you thought it ever could be. Oh, it, it, um, yes, and let me just give a huge plug for Capon, number one, and uh, and he can, listen, like every theologian, uh, he can be quirky at times, so don't read everything the guy writes and consider it, you know, gospel necessarily, but his riffs on grace are the best that have ever been written, in mm. my opinion, uh, and that quote, uh, is one of my favorite quotes of all time. It made it into the introduction of my most recent book, One Way Love, which is my book on grace. Um, so I'm a huge, huge Capon fan. He is he has penned some mind-blowing sentences and paragraphs on grace that are so radically counterintuitive that they will rock the world. So I'm a huge plug for Capon. But yes, I mean, I think, you know, like, for me, what happened, and this is interesting, I think it happens with a lot of people, is uh, especially if you were a real, you know, if you were a real train wreck as a teenager and sort of went off the deep end like I did, and then you become a Christian uh, and God tracks you down. And, you know, I mean, for the first six months of my new Christian life, quote unquote, uh, I was just. I was just a lover of grace. I could not hear a song about grace. I could not hear a pastor preach about grace without feeling overwhelmed and tearful. I mean, literally, tears would stream down my face anytime everyone, anyone ever talked about uh, God's grace because I had experienced it so deeply. But then something terrible happened to me, which happens to lots of people, and that is that they cease being amazed by grace, and the focus of the Christian faith now becomes the way I live. It's all about sanctified self-improvement. It's all about behavior modification and what I need to do and what I shouldn't do. I, you know, brood, you brood over your spiritual successes and you regret your spiritual failures, and before long, uh, the Christian faith ceases to be about Jesus and grace and God's performance for us in Christ, and it becomes all about my performance for God. It's no longer primarily about Christ's work for us. It's about my work for Jesus, and that's what happened to me. And as a result, I quickly became a legalist. Mm. Uh, I mean, I became a, I became a sin manager in my own life. I became a sin manager in the lives of everybody around me. I became fairly difficult to live with. This sort of fun-loving, life-of-the-party guy that I used to be was long gone, and now I was all about imposing new rules and laws very pietistically onto both myself and other people. And, you know, that was sort of my pendulum swing. And you do that for a little while, um, and it may seem like it's working, but eventually you crash and burn, and you realize you're not as good as you think you are. You're not as sanctified as you think you are. You haven't improved as much as you've convinced yourself that you have. The people around you don't like you as much because you're a pain to be around. Um, and, you know, I feel that way about Swirl all the time. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so that, I mean, that really that happened to me. I mean, I sort of became... Uh, my the Christian the focus of the Christian faith became all about my Christian life, not about Jesus and what He had done. Um, and so, you know, I mean, things happen in life. You fail enough, you suffer enough, um, 
you know, you, you get stabbed in the back enough, you hurt other people enough, other people hurt you enough. Life happens as a broken person in a broken world living with other broken people, and life just simply has a way of making you aware of your desperation. And so it was probably about seven or eight years ago that God reacquainted me in a deep way with his amazing grace, and uh, my life has been very, very different since then. My preaching has been different. My counseling's been different. My pastoring has been different. Um, And I just don't think people can really, really get the depths of God's grace until they hit rock bottom, until mm. they crash and burn. You know, and, uh, God was gracious enough to do that to me. Yeah, you know, that, that story, I, I can really, I can, I can relate to that because it was about, um, I would say about six, seven years into my ministry uh, from the time I was ordained, you know, and I grew up in the Lutheran tradition where we take for granted law and gospel. We take for granted that we're simultaneously sinners and saints, this struggle. We, we understand this. Um, you know, I grew up with it, and and yet um, I remember, and I mentioned the name, you know, Robert Farr Capen, because, uh, you know, it was about seven years or so uh, into preaching and pastoring that I started reading uh, Capen again, first time since uh, since the se- my seminary days. And I remember, like, putting down one of his books at some point and literally in tears, basically saying to myself or praying to God, uh, if the gospel isn't this good, I want no part of it. Or, or it's like mm. this recognition that, that, that God's grace in Christ was so much more gracious than I ever thought it was. And, mm. and, and it's, it's precisely that. And, and it does. You're absolutely right. It changes your preaching. It changes the way you relate uh, to the people entrusted to your care. Uh, you see them, like you're saying, that they're broken. You're broken. We're all messed up. Uh, nobody's getting better here. This church is no, we're not a hospital where people check out. We're a hospice where we're all dying. And, 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 and yet, by right. the grace of God, we live in Christ. Mm, absolutely. I love that. No, absolutely. And I, to be honest with you, I really, really believe that the church in America is in dire need of a brand new reformation. I really, really do, because I hear from people all over the country who are just getting burned out because of the to-do list version of the Christian faith they're getting Sunday after Sunday after Sunday from pulpits in this country. Uh, they're getting, they're on the receiving end of a checklist version of the Christian faith. Uh, they really do, they really have come to believe that God loves me more when I'm doing well, and he loves me less when I'm not doing well. And this idea that, um, you know, that God relates to me based on my performance for him rather than his performance for me, I mean, it's, it's an epidemic. It really is. And it's so funny because I'm just such... Um, I'm just so stubborn when it comes to my proclamation of grace. I don't even know how to back off. I really don't. I mean, I'm not trying to stir the pot. I'm not trying to make people mad, but I just, I keep getting louder and louder and louder with this message because it's what saves me every single day. 
And it's amazing the pushback I get from religious people, religious <laughs> yes. leaders. Yeah, they, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I was, I, I was going to ask about that because because we're very familiar with this and the charge of antinomianism and and that sort of right, thing. Right. That, that the the minute you the, the minute you start pouring the straight stuff, as Capen says, you know, two hundred proof, no ginger ale, no ice, no nothing. Uh, uh, the, right. the the protest start is like, hey, wait a minute, but you have to. Uh, what, what's been the what's been the what's been the pushback in your experience? Yeah, I mean, you hear the antinomian, uh, you know, accusations and uh, all of the yes, grace, but grace with footnotes. Uh, you know, I talk about it in terms of grace with butts and breaks. Um, and you know, I mean, it's just what's ironic is, um, and none of the critics would agree with this, of course. But it's because they don't actually hear what they're saying. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, it's amazing to me that some of the criticism that those of us who are committed to preaching the radicality and hilarity of God's grace get sounds almost identical, literally almost identical to the pushback Luther got from the Roman Catholic Church of his day. <laughs> we need to, we got to take a break here, guys. Uh, We'll be back on the second half with Tullian Tavijan and uh, talking about God's grace, how it's better news than we ever imagined that it could be. Stay tuned for more. Let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. In other words, hold my hand. To the world famous God Whispers, we've got Tolly and Chavijan on the line with us. I figured a little clash. I thought the law would be a good way to come back. I don't know, just kind of well worked done. for me. Uh, I, I and and Christ won. <laughs> <laughs> well, if we fight the law, we're not going to win. That's for sure. I mean, if we if we think we can overcome it or something like that, we're we're in bad bad places. Uh, Tolly and y- y- your your writings your your the stuff that's appeared in the blogosphere your books uh, I'm I'm sure you're aware but you've kind of you kind of wandered onto the Lutheran radar screen uh, in many ways because we we hear a familiar voice in, to a certain extent you know we it, and that's the thing I think about about grace is that when you hear it uh, you, your ears perk up and uh, and so you've 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 wandered onto the Lutheran radar screen, and and I, I wanted to just bounce a few of your quotes back at you and have you kind of expand on them a bit. Uh, here's this is one I love: uh, the Bible is a record of the blessed bad, uh, not a witness to the best people making it up to God, but the witness of God making it down to the worst people. <laughs> um, can you, you want to kind of kind of run with that for? A little, I love this the the book of the the book of the blessed bad. I mean, I just think it's almost impossible to read the Bible and not understand, first and foremost, that the Bible is, in fact, a witness to 
God making it down to the worst people, not the best people making it up to God. I mean, I think the Bible uh, makes it very clear that God speaks his word in two words. Uh, The first word is law. The final word is gospel. The law is intended by God to break us down and show us how desperate we are. And the gospel is God's final word, announcing that Jesus came to do for us what we could never do for ourselves, that he came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law so that we would inherit his righteousness because we could never achieve righteousness on our own. So everybody we read about in the Bible is imperfect, flawed, broken, sinful. And uh, Jesus comes into our brokenness. Jesus, God in the flesh, comes into our messed upness and rescues sinners like me. And I think what's happened, especially in American evangelicalism, is the Bible has become a moralistic self-help manual. I mean, people read the Bible as if, uh, we, is, as if it's all about us and how we can achieve our best life now, rather than seeing that it's first and foremost about the work of the Redeemer, not the work of the redeemed, that it's first and foremost a revelation of God's performance for us in Jesus, not our performance for him. Um, I mean, if you really, really want to take take uh, what God requires of us seriously, you need to go no further than Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, where he says very plainly, uh, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. I mean, put that in your pipe and smoke it. I mean, you really want to know what you need to do to gain God's acceptance? Perfection. And what's happened is inside the American church specifically, what we hear, either implicitly or explicitly, is that God doesn't expect perfection. He just expects progress. And I'm like, no, that's cheap law. It's so funny. We hear so many charges about cheap grace, and I'm like, that's not the real problem in the church today. The real problem is not cheap grace. The real problem is cheap law, believing that God accepts anything smaller than the perfect righteousness of Jesus. Um, and so I really do. I mean, I, I, when I read the Bible, I, I read the Bible Christocentrically, which means essentially that Jesus is the hero of every story. Um, I wrote a blog post recently, a couple days ago, about Jesus being the Good Samaritan. We are the guys in the ditch, and Jesus is the Good Samaritan who crosses the street from heaven to earth and binds up our wounds and brings us to his Father and uh, pays for all of the needs that we have. And the pushback that I've gotten from Christian people about how terrible of an interpretation that is, that it is about being a good neighbor. It's about doing this, that, and the other. When I clearly state, you know, in the post itself, that he's answering the lawyer's question who was trying to trick him, and the lawyer's question was, how, how can I be justified? And basically, Jesus says, be the good Samaritan, in, a, in an attempt to say, you can't be, because I'm the good Samaritan. You're the guy in the ditch. I'm the one who crosses the street and provides the help you need. And I mean the pushback. And I'm like, so really what you're wanting is to read the Bible with less Jesus in it? Is that really what you're saying? I mean, I'm just like, man, when you start getting pushback from people because you highlight Jesus as the hero of every story, 
the church is in bad shape, and that's why we need new reformation. Well, well, that, that's that's because we want to be the hero of every story. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's yep. like never never mind that Jesus guy. He just shows us how to be heroic. And uh, I, I remember right. in, I remember encountering. Oh, by the way, that parable uh, you you can actually run it uh, quite pleasingly. Law gospel either way. Uh, Augustine's on your side on on this one. Jesus, the good Samaritan, who takes us to the inn and uh, and and binds our wounds. Uh, Luther. Luther actually ran it both ways in his career. So you can find uh, Luther saying Jesus is the good Samaritan. You can find uh, other uh, sermons where he says Jesus is the man in the ditch. Um, which I actually, I actually, I actually prefer that one for this reason. Only the Samaritan who is free from the law can actually be neighbor to the man who fell among the thieves. And so uh, it, it gets yeah. it gets back to the same grace point, though. How does one come into Samaritan freedom? You know, the priest and the Levite are bound by this law, and and it's one of those situations where they're painted into a corner. They can't actually help the man, and they're not going to love him. Nor will they love God right. for making these rules in the first place. I mean, the the law will not cause you to love God or your neighbor. No. So so, no. but but the guy who's free, he's got no care in the world. Uh, he's right. the guy who actually is neighbor. But try to get a synagogue lawyer to identify with a Samaritan. <laughs> right. That's you, exactly right. You got to yeah, exactly right. You got to die to a lot of religion before you do that. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Hey guys, we we have a call. Let's let's go to the phone, oh, shall we? We have uh, Pastor Mike in Maryland, Maryland, I guess. Maryland. Hi, how are you? Uh, oh, uh, welcome to hey, the show. Hey, Pastor Craig. Uh, yeah, it's actually um, this is obsessive, Mike. Obsessive, Mike. <laughs> how are you doing? One of our own. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm from Maryland. Uh, um, yeah, this is this is great. This will definitely be on the CD in my car at the Greatest Hits uh, show here. Um, I, uh, speaking of one of those, I was listening to you guys on uh, Heidelberg and uh, uh, Pastor Swirl. You were saying about original sin that um, it's not just all of our uh, lustful, evil desires. It's also the lack of um, fear, love, and trust in God and I've been thinking about that for like the past week or so, and this is something I, I kind of learned before, but I keep forgetting. Um, uh, I have—I don't know if you guys remember the second story in the Hammer of God, like the pietist pastor that thought he gave Jesus his heart. Mm, yeah, that's one of my um, favorites. Yeah, great, great moment, yeah. great moment in Hammer of God. Yeah. You know, how do you know you're in? Well, I gave Jesus my heart. The response: What? What would? The, what on earth would the Lord want with such a wretched thing as that? I always like to paraphrase that and say, what did he do to you? <laughs> yeah, well, it's like I could read that story and be like, well, that guy's really stupid. But I, that's basically my my pram theology, if I can use a computer metaphor. Um, it uh, um, that's, that's what I really believe when you scratch, you know, if, if, apart from a theological question, it, that's really where I operate from. So, like, at the end, where he's he's uh, at the death of that old older Christian man, and he's, um, the, the older guy is cussing and saying all these vile things, and the young pastor's like, well, I don't know if he's saved, I don't know, you know. And then he talks about how for himself that he imagined faith as being sort of this force field across this great chasm, and that in order for him to get across, he would have to maintain sort of that 
force field bridge all the way across. And I mean, that's when when you when you guys were talking about original sin and being not only the evil desires but also the lack of these good things. Um, I wasn't when I looked at myself. Uh, I wasn't interpreting the lack of those good things as sin. I mean, I was, but I was interpreting that as lack of faith. So yeah, let, let's 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 just go to Ephesians yeah. two. You were dead in your trespasses and sin. Not not sort of marginally ill. Not uh, kind of weakened. Not uh, you know pretty good, but trying. Dead. I mean, how dead can dead be? But dead. And and that's really. I think that's that's ultimately where grace kicks in. It's it's not that we're redeemable. It's that we're irredeemable. We're unsalvageable. And nevertheless, God in His grace uh, has rescued us. As, Thanks for the call, Mike. Uh, Pastor Tavijan, you, you have anything to offer on that whole uh, whole discussion that we're having here on on the uh, basically the fact that when you scratch the surface of all of us, there's some sort of cooperation that oh, we yeah. have in our heads, or some sort of synergism, as we like to say in theological circles. Old Adam or, is a transactionalist, or as loves we like to the, say, as, loves the deal, the two way yeah, gift, yeah. right? Or as Lutherans, as we like to say, there's an Arminian in everyone trying to get out. <laughs> yeah, I had a uh, I had a uh, a pro- professor in seminary uh, named Roger Nicole, a well known theologian from the 20th century, who said that we are all born natural Pelagians. Mm. Uh, and yeah, I said the only thing I would add to the conversation that I just overheard is that the Hammer of God may very well be the best book outside the Bible I've ever read. So I recommend it highly to anyone listening by Bo Gertz, The Hammer of God. Get it today, read it tomorrow, and then read it again next week. It's absolutely fantastic. I mean, it was a, it was a game changer for me. Yeah, you know, it's always rare to hear an author uh, hawk somebody else's book. I mean, it's, it's very refreshing to hear that. I just... <laughs> well, Bill Geertz yeah. has been dead for a while, so he's not a threat, right? Yeah, I, yeah, I think right. the, yeah. Fam- the family still makes a nickel here and there, but yeah, no, that's good. <laughs> It's fantastic. I mean, it really is. It's a phenomenal book. It really, it really was a game changer for me. Um, so yeah, I highly recommend it. Uh, just an amazing, uh, just law gospel theology in a gripping narrative form uh, that is just so amazingly practical and devotional, and it's just well told. It's a well developed story. Well, what, you know. What Yertz does there is, is the, see, that's the Lutheran version of what you've identified in evangelicalism. It's the same disease. Yep. It's when, when Lutherans go legalistic, they, they become pietists, for one thing, or uh, they get hooked on revival, kind of. They go into a revivalistic mode, and, 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 and he knew that. He knew that from Scandinavian Lutheranism, from, from his own Lutheranism, uh, where this inward thing will go. And so those stories are really written as a counterpoint uh, to that. Yep. You know, God's objective grace in Christ uh, that holds even before you believe it, you know, that, that, that this is their your believing doesn't make it so. Your believing just receives what is already yours. Yeah. Well, and, you know, another, just to trace the history of pietism and the impact that it's had, uh, at least in my context, uh, there is a another phenomenal book 
by another Lutheran who is a friend and uh, just an amazing guy, uh, a book called Sanctification. That's the title. The subtitle is Christ in Action by Harold Sainte-Bile. Oh, yeah. And in the mm. first in the first chapter, uh, which is fairly lengthy, he does a history of how we got to where we currently are in our understanding of sanctification and the Christian life and that sort of thing, and uh, just traces the roots of pietism and how that has come to shape everything we think the Christian faith is all about. I remember reading that on a plane a number of years ago, growing up in the context I grew up in, and literally, I mean, it felt like scales were falling from my eyes. Like, I was like, oh my gosh, for the first time, I finally understand why I have come to believe about Christianity, what I came to believe about Christianity. Um, so yeah, very subjective, very pietistic, um, you know, and I think Gertz does a phenomenal job of pointing that out. Am I pronouncing that right? I heard you pronounce it differently a moment it's, ago. I, I, Geertz, I think it's, it's Geertz or Geertz or something. I, I'm, I'm, I'm anything but Scandinavian, so we, we would have to ask. Uh, uh, <laughs> well, listen, I don't feel bad because he would have a hell of a time pronouncing Chivijan. You know, in, in this in this whole business of grace and going back to what what Bo Yurts, the Hammer of God, uh, I think also does well too. Um, and it, when when we as Lutherans think of grace, we also think in terms of the means of grace. You know, th- this too is objective that that God's grace in Christ actually comes objectively to us. So, you know, for us, the role of baptism, the role of the Lord's Supper in in this life, this objective life of faith, is vitally important. Because how do we know God is gracious to us? Because He objectively does these things for us and to us on a, on on a continual basis, which kind of keeps us blessedly outside of ourselves because I, I think that's really the, the the move of the old adam is to get you balled up inside yourself whereas we are radically torn outside of ourselves to christ and our neighbor mm. well i mean wasn't it luther who was uh sort of parroting augustine in this way talking about uh really sin is mankind turned in on himself uh, and that really is the ultimate problem. That's the ultimate issue. And it really gets in the way of our call to love our neighbor. Because when we think that, when we go through life feeling like we need to get for ourselves, we can't identify the needs of our neighbor and serve those needs. But when we know that everything we need in Christ we already possess, that sets me free to do everything for you without needing anything from you. All of the love, all of the acceptance, all of the approval, all of the meaning and worth and value that I crave, I already possess in Christ. And therefore, I am now free to spend my life giving rather than taking, going to the back instead of fighting always to get to the front, identifying your needs and asking how can I serve you rather than asking how can you serve me, sacrificing myself 
for others rather than sacrificing others for myself. And that's a, that, that is something that only the objective word of the gospel can produce in us. I, I was reading your uh, blog the other day, and you had an article uh, that was called something like Punked by the Gospel <laughs> or, or something yeah, like that. Punked by Grace. And, yeah. and, and yeah. Uh, I, I just really love the story that you told in there about the kids that just destroyed their, their camp room. Oh, know, that's their, a good one. That, that... Yeah, w- would, you, would you tell that story for us? Yeah, I was actually on an interview um, talking about the same things we're talking about now, a radio interview, and uh, the interviewer told me a story about how he was, just to sort of validate what I was saying, he said, let me tell you how this, I actually saw this at work in uh, an experience of mine when I was a camp counselor one summer. He said, basically, um, you know, me and one of the other camp counselors were responsible to go around to all of the, the boys' dorms uh, while they were eating breakfast and check off, you know, make sure they were clean and in order and the boys were responsible to make sure that their beds were made and their stuff was put away before they went to breakfast. And so the guys went to this one particular dorm room and the place was completely trashed and it had been intentionally trashed. Uh, I mean, it was just like a complete, a complete, you know, violation of a complete violation of the law that had been laid down. And, um, and I mean, they really were. They really were. It was really all about, you know. I mean, they were trying to trying to break the law intentionally, and uh, so there was clothes all over the floor. The beds weren't made. There was soap all over the windows. I mean, it was like you know some big joke to them. And so when the two counselors walked in, uh, they were sort of dumbfounded. Their jaws dropped, and one looked at the other and said, "What are we going to do? You know, I mean, we report these guys." Uh, what do we do? And the other guy, the interviewer, said to me that he said to his friend that we're going to clean this place up so that it's cleaner than any of the other rooms. And the other guy was like, are you, what are you, nuts? I mean, these kids should be sent home. Why in the world would we cover up their mess? And uh, and so, but he eventually agreed, and they cleaned it up. Not only that, but when they went, when the kids came back after breakfast and saw that their room had been cleaned, of course, they were sort of cut to the heart. Uh, and then when they went to the opening morning assembly where awards were given for the cleanest rooms every morning, uh, they were awarded the cleanest room of the day. Uh, and they were just absolutely dumbfounded. And each one of those boys went back to each of those counselors, apologized. Uh, they, kept their, their, they kept their room clean, cleaner than any other room the rest of the week, and it was just a, a remarkable illustration of um, the fact that grace really does change us. Mm. I mean, it really does. It's not the law cannot produce love. The yes. Bible nowhere says that the command to love God is what actually produces love for God. Yeah, you know, cr- tells us that, you know, Romans ahead. 2, where, where St. Paul says that it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. It's, it's not the law of uh, the rod of the law, you know, beating right. us that makes us love our neighbor you uh, know, or serve our neighbor. I, I can think of two ways that religion messes up this parable. One, um, go to your room, clean it up, and I will forgive you. Uh, two, right. I forgive you, now go clean up your room, which I, that's, a common, that's a common one. You're forgiven, now clean up your life. 
Uh, you know, right. we hear that in, we hear that in Lutheranism all the time. Is uh, okay, you're forgiven. God freely forgives you in Christ. Now get to work and clean up your life. But but <laughs> you've gone the outrageous route. This is Capanian eight outrage here. The room's clean and they get awards. Yeah. They get awards. Yeah. It's like the eleventh hour workers at the vineyard did basically nothing and get a full denarius at the end of the day, you know. And and everybody's outraged. Hey, wait a minute, that's not fair. Well, it's, such a, it's such a beautiful picture of imputed righteousness. It is. Not only not only does Jesus die for our unrighteousness. He gives us his righteousness. He cleans so, the room. Right, not only are our sins covered, but we're rewarded with a perfect record. And I go, man, guys, this is, I'm telling you, this is way better than any of us think it is. It's way more radical than any of us think it is. And anybody who attempts to, you know, de-radicalize the nature of God's amazing grace reveals the fact that they're still holding on to something they can claim as their own. Now, they still want to maintain some measure of control. They, they want to control God, in a sense, because once you say, my good works get more of God's favor and my bad works get less of God's favor, you're really putting yourself in a position of controlling God. So if I just do good stuff, He's obligated to bless me. Now I have so to. I'm now in control of myself and God. I, I, I have to issue. I have to gently, but but in a brotherly way, warn you at this point that uh, <laughs> and, and this is in terms of of, of Luther, uh, uh, who reminded us that where the gospel is preached, the cross is sure to be there. And and so so um, uh, you keep this up, and you're going to be in a peck of trouble. I, I, if you aren't already, uh, you're going to be in just a huge boatload of trouble. If things get really bad, uh, you know, just remember, remember us, you know, kind of come our way. And, uh, you know, we probably can't supply you with Coral Ridge, but uh, we can get you a nice little farm parish somewhere uh, with about uh, yeah, the yeah. 35 people addicted to grace. I, I, I don't know. But, but I'm, just, I'm just saying oh, man. there's there's trouble. Well, there's big I, trouble in your future. I, I, I'm predicting this. Well, I, you know, it's funny because uh, there are always two responses to what I say. There is the response of the religionist who, you know, cries heretic, heretic. But then there is the um, then there is the response of the broken, burned out, desperate person who, with tears streaming down their face, says, "Why have I grown up in church my whole life and never heard this?" Yeah, Thank that you. was me. I didn't even want, yeah, I didn't even want to get out of bed this morning, and I read what you wrote, and it just breathed relief into my day. And I'm going, those are the people that Jesus came for. Those are the people that flocked to Jesus. Those are the people that ran to him. And I'm in very, very good company if the desperate, the weary, and the downtrodden like what I'm saying. <laughs> so, I, I tell you, um, I grew up in such fear of the rapture that it actually drove me from the church. Uh, all these people claiming to live this victorious Christian life, and the harder I tried, the, the worse I got, you know, and, and my sin was always this in front of me. is a nation that That's obeyeth right. not the voice of the Lord their God, nor receiveth correction. Just letting you know. God's people know the time. <laughs> so... You know, so I understand, you know, we, we get so beat up by the law. And then I, I stumble into these Lutherans and I become angry at them because they aren't shouting this from the rooftops. In you know, corn, this, this no amazing... more, you feral beast.
<laughs> Bill can't handle it when anyone else is speaking. Uh, but <laughs> but uh, you, you know, just the fact that that this this good news hasn't gotten out so much lately. And and I, I really love the fact that you're doing that, Pastor Javidja. Well, really we're, we're working to ch- we are working to change that, and we are full steam ahead. And I'm surrounded by some great guys and some good support, good support group, and a church, a church that really, really appreciates uh, this message week in and week out. So, uh, yes, I get myself in trouble. I don't really think that it's me getting myself in trouble. I just think the message is so offensive to anyone who wants to maintain some measure of contributing control. That we're, I mean, you know, Jesus was called an antinomian. Paul was called an antinomian. Luther was called an antinomian. So we're in good company. Even though we're not antinomians, we're not antinomians. The charge of Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great preacher from last century at Westminster Chapel in London used to say that if you are not at least being accused of antinomianism, you're not preaching the gospel. We have to call it quits there. Thanks so much for being with us, Pastor's Vision. Be with us next week on The God Whispers. Adios. Au revoir.